In episode 3 of House of the Dragon, you may have missed one of the most influential and important characters that will appear in this entire series. Someone that makes kings and queens dance like puppets, rules cities from the shadows, the spy master that all who follow aspire to, one of the most fascinating, terrifying, and impactful characters in all of Fire and Blood and sure to be the same in House of the Dragon. That he went relatively unnoticed is on purpose. One whose words drip from his lips like honey from a comb, and never did poison taste so sweet. That's right, this guy right here. The one who mild-manneredly asked to sit down with a bunch of ladies, listen to their gossip, then ate a lemon cake. That's who I'm talking about. This here is Lara Strong, known as the Clubfoot. He is one of my favorite characters in this entire story, and by the end of this video, he might just be yours too. Beyond just being a master manipulator that makes Varys and Littlefinger look relatively incompetent, there may be more to Laris than we even know. Something that connects him to another famous spy master, uh, may have heard of him, Brynden Rivers the Bloodraven? And this connection may explain why Laris is far more influential and plugged into this world than anybody realizes. This video, by the way, will have some spoilers for House of the Dragon from Fire and Blood, although I'm going to avoid big events and specifics. So you have been warned. Laris is the youngest son of Lord Lionel Strong, Master of Laws for King Viserys. Always a slight child, Laris is also born with a clubfoot. The clubfoot, shown off in House of the Dragon, causes him to walk with a cane and a heavy limp, a metal shoe on his foot. And in Fire and Blood, Laris describes his clubfoot as this. When I am dead, hack off my clubfoot with that great sword of yours. I have dragged it with me all through life. Let me be free of it in death, at least. So while his older brother Harwin would be out riding and fighting in the practice yards learning to be a knight, Laris was not. Very much a quiet and understated boy, Laris learned from a young age to listen and watch those around him. He's someone who always uses his ears and his brain before doing anything, a byproduct of his clubfoot making actions for him difficult. He contrasts strongly with his brother Harwin, who lives his life by the seat of his pants and is 100% impulse. Fighting in tourneys, going hunting, breaking bones, patrolling King's Landing as a gold cloak, that's Harwin's life, whereas Laris prefers to watch the chaos that his brother creates. The two Strongs make a very common archetype from George R. R. Martin, with one half of a duo typically being extremely smart yet smaller or weaker, and their large but far less intellectual protector. The most prominent examples of these being Bran and Hodor, Tyrion and Jaime, Duncan Egg, and so on. In House of the Dragon, the Strong family ends up spending most of their time in King's Landing with Lionel's job as Master of Laws. However, Laris was born and raised in the ruined fortress of Harrenhal, sitting on the shores of the mysterious God's Eye Lake. His first memories would be of seeing the twisted ruin of Harrenhal and the power of the dragons. How Aegon the Conqueror burned and melted down the mightiest warlord in Westeros and his city-sized castle in only one day. And much the same way as Littlefinger does centuries later, can imagine that the slight and skinny Laris realized that he would have no chance of succeeding physically in a world ruled by dragons. Many great swordsmen burn in the inferno coming from Valerian the Black Dread's mouth. The tallest walls and towers ever built fell apart like a child's sandcastle. How can you ever compete against a magical force of nature like that? You can't. The only way to rise in a world of dragons is to outthink them and use your mind as a weapon. The best way to kill a dragon rider is not when they're flying at you with their fire-breathing death machine. It's with a knife while they sleep in bed. It's also important to remember that Harrenhal sits on the Great Lake, the God's Eye, and then what sits at the very center of the eye, the mysterious, mythical, strange, 
Isle of Faces, supposedly the home of the green men and the children of the forest. The island itself, with its ring of weirwoods where the pact was signed between the first men and the children of the forest, ending generations-long war between them. It's a very magical and mystical place, the kind of place that catches the attention of especially small children with imaginations. And it makes you wonder if Laris, much like Bran Stark later would, loves stories of the children and the first men. Maybe he too loved the scary stories and related to how the Green Seers were always smaller than the first men, but they used their minds and green powers to hold off the physically stronger humans and their axes. Certainly, Laris acts a bit like a Green Seer himself, watching and listening at the center of King's Landing in its court, like the children do from their weirwood thrones. You can see how the young man who grew up on the shores of the God's Eye may have found the exploits of the children inspirational to how he would later operate. Later in life, he along with his brother Harwin and his sisters are brought to court by their father, Lord Lionel, and Lionel puts his sons to work. Harwin becomes the captain of the Gold Cloaks, while Laris is given over to the uh, confessors aka the torturers of the crown. Lionel clearly recognized the different talents of his sons and gave them trades to match. Laris thrived in the underbelly of the Red Keep and its deep, dark tunnels, learning every secret passage like the sprawling roots of a weirwood cave, trading in secrets and knowledge for the crown and himself, and learning just where to apply pressure to get what he wants from people. Sometimes Laris would do it with honey words, and other times with more painful and persuasive methods. Laris Strong was the confessor who would always find a way to learn what he needed to. We meet Laris in House of the Dragon around this time, and his entrance into House of the Dragon is perfectly done and shows just how well the showrunners know how to handle the clubfoot. He just slides into the TV show, barely noticed. We first see him standing a little bit away from the crowd outside of the king's carriage at the royal hunt, behind his father and brother just doing his Laris things lightly celebrating the king's arrival, but not really drawing attention to himself. And we see him next inside the main party tent. And what do we see him doing? He makes a beeline for the most powerful women at the hunt, including Queen Alicent and the ladies Hightower, Redwine, and Lannister. Laris politely asks to sit down with the women, blaming his clubfoot on why he couldn't go on the hunt with the other men. Alicent recognizes Laris as Lionel Strong's son and agrees to him sitting with them, possibly taking pity on Laris, a thing he takes advantage of. Although Lady Lannister is a bit nonplussed at the interloper joining the discussion, they all assent. And this is how we can see the brilliance of Laris Strong and how the showrunners know him extremely well and exactly how he would act in this scenario. Even if Laris didn't have a club foot holding him back, he would not be going on that hunt. For him, the real hunt is whispers and court gossip he's about to spend an entire day and night listening in on. Laris's real prize here is the information he's gathering, not some stupid animal they might catch out in the woods. What Laris knows and values is that everything these powerful ladies of the court are about to say could be extremely valuable intelligence and could even sway the plans of his father and house drastically. What many, including those in universe, underestimate is how much power and sway the wives of these powerful lords really wield within the realm. Characters like Cersei Lannister, Catelyn Stark, Olenna Tyrell, Marjorie Tyrell, and more play a massive role in court politics, often influencing and making policy their husbands follow and a resource that only fools would ignore. Luckily, most lords are fools and dismiss this chatter as idle gossip beneath them as they go out trying to stick spears into animals. These ladies' opinions on war, who is screwing around on their spouses, what their children and family are doing, the 
future plans of their house, who is trying to get a marriage for some child. These things all matter and dictate the flow of the realm at large. And Laris knows it. This is the kind of intelligence and information in Game of Thrones that Laris and Littlefinger employ entire spy networks of children and servants to go gather for them. And yet the simplicity and elegance of Lara Strong is on display here. He uses his father's position at court and also the excuse of not being able to go on the hunt because of his club foot to be allowed to sit in on this huge mine of information just is so Laris. He slides into his seat and becomes a fly on the wall watching and listening. The best example of how he works is how Laris reacts to the questioning of Rhaenyra by Ladies Lannister and Redwine about the war on the Stepstones and her rise as heir. Lady Lannister questions Rhaenyra about what she knows about Daemon and his war on the Stepstones, and Rhaenyra responds that she doesn't know anything, that she hasn't spoken to Daemon in years, which is actually a clever question because it confirms for the assembled ladies that Rhaenyra remains on the outside of discussions about the war on the small council. They're fishing for information about how likely Viserys is to actually disinherit his daughter, and that he continues treating her like an outsider is not a good sign for Rhaenyra staying as heir. Blairis, of course, absorbs that information and files it away so he can report back possibly to his father Lionel. However, it's not just interesting how Rhaenyra answers the question, it's also that Lady Lannister is asking the question at all, and how the Lannisters seem to have an interest in how the succession will play out. Confirmed a few minutes later with Lord Jason's marriage proposal and a certainty that Rhaenyra is going to be disinherited. We can be sure the hunt and Lord Jason's proposal and marriage is not the work of Lord Jason himself, who's quite a dipshit, but his mother, much like the relationship between Olenna Tyrell and her son Mace. And then also Lady Redwine saying that Viserys should do his duty and go down and beat up the pirates. Rhaenyra turns back and bites the lady's head off, asking what has she done other than eat cake at court? While this is an excellent comeback to a pompous noble, it's also an important character trait on display that Rhaenyra is willing to burn people even as powerful as the Redwines and the Lannisters if it means feeling good in that moment. That she can be impulsive and fearless, bordering on reckless, believing consequences are for other people, a bit like her uncle Damon. All of this is being filed away in Laris's mind palace for later use. But the really clever part is what he does after Rhaenyra burns Lady Redwine. Laris leans forward and just takes a bite out of a snack. I'm presuming it's a lemon cake. It's played for humor by the episode, a faux pas like someone coughing in an awkward moment. But it's actually incredibly sly by Laris. What he actually wants to do in this moment is watch the reactions of Allison and Lady Lannister to what Rhaenyra just said, knowing that their facial expressions will betray their reactions and internal thoughts to the exchange. However, he doesn't want to turn his head and stare at them, as that would be very noticeable and give away that his interest is anything but casual. So he leans forward, takes a bite into his snack, and uses his change in position to watch the women's reactions out of the corner of his eye. He also uses this to make himself look disinterested and a little bit foolish for his ill-timed snack, and he's using that perception to mask his interest. This is classic Laris, appearing non-threatening to disguise what he's actually doing. We may only see one truly honest moment from Laris, which happens later in this episode. When Rhaenyra walks back into the camp dragging a boar covered in its blood, the entire camp stops. Jason Lannister looks quite disgusted. Hobart Hightower just offended. Viserys is gaping with his mouth open. And of course we have Harwin Strong turning into Book Dario and throwing his game at the blood-soaked princess. By far the most intriguing reaction is Laris. He's not shocked, offended, grossed out, turned on like Harwin, or even surprised. He's just watching, grazing, his interest 
fully held. He's taking in Rhaenyra's defiance, her attitude, her comfort with blood, the way she's flaunting her kill to the camp. The, she manages to capture his interest, so much so that he drops his normal games and unassuming persona. He watches, openly gazing at Rhaenyra, suggesting that Harwin isn't the only one of the strong boys who might have more than a passing interest in the Princess of Dragonstone. And this is really only the beginning of Laris' character. At this point in the series, he's just Lord Strong's youngest observant but a bit weird son learning his craft as a confessor. But I hope I've demonstrated by analyzing these few scenes that there's a lot more Laris, how his skills of observation, manipulation, and intelligence are just portents of what's to come for him. His rise to Spymaster is the thing of legends, and his influence is understated even among those in history actively trying to understand him and trying to comprehend how far the Clubfoot's reach really went. The show very cleverly snuck in one of their major characters so cleanly most of the audience didn't even notice him. But don't worry, we're going to start noticing Laris quite soon. Watching the Clubfoot will become a national pastime. What's even more mysterious about him though is that no one ever really knows what the quiet Clubfoot really ever wants. He rarely speaks except to crack a joke or offers some kind of deep wisdom, showing the true scale of his intelligence. Laris is a loner, his only friend being his older brother and protector Harwin. No one else even really knows him and it's uncertain if Harwin does it all, and they never will, and that makes some of his choices later in the story appear contradictory and baffling. In Fire and Blood, George R. R. Martin poses the question to the reader through Archmaester Gildane to see if you can unravel the puzzle of Lara Strong. What really makes him tick? How does he do the incredible and horrible things he pulls off, and what is his true interest in the grand Game of Thrones? The enigma that is Lara Strong the club has vexed students of history for generations and is not one we can hope to unravel here. Where did his true loyalty lie? What was he about? He wove his way all through the Dance of the Dragons on this side and that side, vanishing and reappearing, yet somehow always surviving. How much of what he said and did was ruse, how much was real? Was he just a man who sailed with prevailing wind, or did he know where he was bound when he set out? So may we ask, but none will answer. I have been one of many in the past trying to sort through the mysteries of this character, as have many others with not a ton of success. Although Laris sits in the heart of the Dance of the Dragons, his own heart remains in shadows even until his dying day. And today I have something a little bit new to propose about Laris Strong. Laris's information gathering and manipulations are often described as otherworldly, supernatural, that he can see and hear into rooms that seem impossible. He somehow dictates the world around him like a puppet master despite having few friends and even fewer words. He has no armies, no wealth, very few allies, and somehow he still makes the world dance for him. There's something about the clubfoot that makes people wary and quite nervous, like he has a thousand unblinking eyes everywhere at once. The most obvious comparison that most people reach to is the two characters that his name is seemingly made from, Littlefinger and Varys, kind of smooshed together with the yell and Eris. He shares characteristics and some deeds with both, particularly Varys the Spider and his stoking a civil war for unknown reasons at this point. But instead I wanted to draw comparisons between Laris and the other spy master whose supernatural abilities led him far beyond just collecting gossip and rose to the position of Hand of the King and actually de facto ruler for several Targaryen kings. I am speaking of course of Brynden Rivers, also known as the Blood Raven. In his time, Brynden had a horrifying reputation for his ruthlessness 
and ability to wield power, but also many fearful whispers that he was a sorcerer who wields magic against the populace and his enemies like some kind of dark wizard. And of course, that's silly. Bloodraven's no wizard. What he is, however, is a green seer, a human with the power of the children of the forest. You may know him better as the three-eyed crow and the tutor to the budding weirwood god, Bran Stark. Long before he became one with the trees, Brendan used his gifts of skin-changing, green sight, and other magics like glamours to always stay two steps ahead of his opponents, leaving them baffled at his unusual methods. Brendan had a habit of knowing things no other human could know, inspiring the song A Thousand Eyes in One, like how he could see into locked rooms and empty courtyards. How Brendan accomplished this though is most likely with his powers as a skin changer, using animals as his eyes and ears. Almost for certain he used the ravens of his mother's house, House Blackwood, and the maester's messengers to overhear letters being written and sent. And as Varys says, the contents of a man's letters are often more valuable than the contents of his purse. Bloodraven would almost for sure use animals as spies, as we see Arya Stark doing during her time in Braavos, where she skin changes into cats to collect knowledge for her. Knowing Brendan's eventual fate as becoming one with the Weirwoods, it's not unreasonable to assume that he also wore the Weirwood faces scattered throughout Westeros to hear whispered and secret conversations in God's Woods, like we know many a Greenseer can do. So, why am I bringing up Brendan Rivers? I'm wondering if Lara Strong has a lot more in common with Brendan Rivers than anyone realizes. Is the mild-mannered master of whispers using the same tricks Bloodraven would later use? Does he have his own powers of skin changing and green sight that Laris uses to run circles around his muggle opponents in the great game? It certainly would explain a lot about Laris's success. Now this isn't really hinted at in Fire and Blood when we're talking about Laris, but then again, not much is hinted about Laris either. He's largely left as an enigma, someone history and his peers didn't understand or know well at all. And part of that is his nature, that he is so secretive in how little he speaks, preferring to keep everything he can close to his chest. If he was a secret greenseer by his nature, no one would ever know as he lived his life cloaked in secrets. Fire and Blood as well is written by skeptical maesters who routinely ignore or discount magical accounts and histories they are writing. If Laris truly is magically gifted by the children, Children the same as Bloodraven and Bran Stark, it's entirely possible that it would never make it into any history book but a secret that he would take to his grave. As I said earlier, Laris grew up in Harrenhal and on the shore of the God's Eye Lake, within sight of the Isle of Faces. It's more than just a strange island in the middle of a big lake. The island and lake are the center of the Children of the Forest influence in the south. The grove of weirwoods on it were carved to signify the pact between men and children. But also, as we know, they served as the gods of the Children of the Forest and their vessels, allowing them to spy on humanity unnoticed. They're strange tales of the ancient order of green men that supposedly guard the weirwoods and tales of flocks of birds that attack anyone who gets too close by boat. Seeing through the mystery, the implication here is that this is probably one of the last places the Children of the Forest still live south of the Wall, using their skin-changed birds to chase people away and being sighted so often as the quote-unquote green men. Also possibly having humans who join them every so often, like Bloodraven and Bran Stark do, accounting for the Bigfoot-like green men sightings. Certainly makes you wonder when you think about Laris having possibly a population of Children of the Forest in their massive fonts of power just in his backyard and if the two ever cross paths or if the children beckoned him to come. The Strongs themselves are also an incredibly ancient house with their founding lost to history. One of the very oldest, according to George R. R. Martin, ranking up there with the High Towers, the Starks, and the Muds. In their veins runs the blood of the First Men, 
their sigil a simple and primal one showing the three forks of the great river trident they used to rule over. Other first man houses like the Blackwoods and the Starks to this day retain their connections with the old gods and tend to produce an abnormally high number of gifted skin changers and green seers. The most prominent examples of course being Brand Stark and Brynden Rivers, Brynden being a Blackwood through his mother. But not those two houses exclusively, and the closer a house seems to be to the first men, the more we hear snippets and stories about secret skin changers and green seers hiding in their numbers. The Strongs could very much be the same. More than a few times in Fire and Blood, the relationship between the Weirwoods and the Children of the Forest and their house members comes up in intriguing ways, particularly the currently unseen Witch Queen Alice Rivers who seems to use the power of the old gods to dominate the dragons. In the past, Queen Alisane also told Alaric Stark of secret old god worshippers still in the south, and I've wondered for a while if she meant the Strongs, that maybe she heard secrets from her friend, the loose-lipped Kingsguard Knight Sir Lucamore Strong, perhaps revealing that his house secretly prays to the old gods. The Strongs in their proximity to the Weirwoods of Harrenhal and the Isle of Faces strengthen this connection, with their influence on the realm only increasing after they took possession of the God's Eye Lake in Harrenhal. There's also quite a few odd similarities with the Starks of Winterfell, almost like they're lost cousins of the same bloodline. I made a whole video about it if you want to click here in the corner and check out more, but suffice to say, the interactions between the Strongs and the Starks is something House of the Dragon will be exploring a lot more. I'm not saying this is definitive proof of anything, but man, did they ever make Harwin Strong look a lot like a member of the Stark family. And Heron Hall in the God's Eye is a natural location for someone curious and quiet like Laris to find their way to hearing the whispers of the old gods. Maybe like Halloween Reed later does, we'll find out that Laris took a boat out to the Isle of Faces in his youth and communed with the Green Seers talking through the Weirwood gods. Or who knows, maybe he actually met them and was led down into the caves to see the Green Seers, learning their secrets, seeing through the eyes of ravens, wearing a wooden face that no one looks twice at. I'm a sucker for symmetry personally, and I think it would be incredible if Laris also received commands like Bran drawing him to the Isle of Faces. Imagine if the Green Seers also promised a young Laris Strong that he will never walk, but maybe he will fly instead. One of George's great loves in his writing is linking physical impairment with astounding intelligence or psychic powers, echoing the idea of the Arthurian Fisher King. If there's a character in one of his books or stories that is physically weak or somehow disabled, it is almost a sure bet that their mental abilities are greatly enhanced, often escalating into the supernatural. And Laris fits that mold to a T. Slight, skinny, physically weak has triple walking doing his club foot, but a mind that shines brighter than almost any other in his time. Other examples are Bran, Tyrion, and Samuel Tarly, all characters who are lacking physically, but their minds are sharper than any others. And Laris shares quite a lot of similarities with characters like Bran and Bloodraven, especially with Bran both sharing their problems walking, and Bloodraven with his Odin-like loss of his eye. All three characters are introverted. They love listening to stories and they listen more than they speak, with their minds far outscaling their physical limitations. They're also quite lonely, and they live in the shadows and dark places, honing their abilities and nurturing their ever-expanding powers over those around them. Bran and Bloodraven clearly in the Weirwoods, but Laris in the Red Keep, scrounging around the dungeons like a greenseer. But more than that, all three characters are extremely confusing to those that know them. They seemingly have no goals that anyone else can really understand, like they're hearing a song only for them that guides their way. It makes them unpredictable and seemingly a step ahead of everyone else around them, like they know what's going to happen. And of course, the reason is, at least for Bran and Bloodraven, is that they literally can perceive a world that no one else can with their gifts and green dreams. 
they can see into rooms and minds that their opponents thinks are closed to them. Their skills truly are supernatural above everyone else they encounter. And it feels to me possible that House of the Dragon may eventually reveal that Larys Strong is one of their peers. I think the main reason Larys may get revealed as a green seer is that the show is putting in a lot more magic than Game of Thrones. They have put a ton of effort into introducing prophecy and dragon dreams, but also weirwoods and sneaky hints that the green seers may be present in the background of the action. Think of how many important conversations are taking place within the eyes of the weirwoods, privy to all these very secret and private moments. The Weirwoods may be personally watching over Rhaenyra, making her feel safe underneath their boughs, even though there may be a green seer behind those bleeding eyes watching her every move. There's strange moments of animals as well. For instance, the rats that are showing up everywhere and in odd places in episode 4. Also the appearance of the white heart to Rhaenyra in episode 3, as well as the seemingly murderous boar that attacked her. Maybe those are just coincidences, the natural world calling to Rhaenyra in some strong way. Or maybe those moments are just kind of flavor for fans hoping to see a bit more of the old gods in a story that largely excludes them if you take fire and blood literally. Or maybe it's all intentional. And rather than some anonymous green seer watching the Red Keep, it's a secret one they already know, hiding his abilities from those around him. Behind those wooden eyes or the eyes of the rats that are infesting the Red Keep or the White Heart and the Boar and all the ravens, there's the ever-watchful Laris Strong, an avatar of the Weirwoods and the Old Gods intruding on the story of dragons, spying on every conversation said in front of the gods within the Red Keep. Maybe he heard Rhaenyra and Daemon flirt, listened to Allison and the princess argue about what actually happened that night in King's Landing, hearing every private conversation that lingered a bit too long in front of that wooden face. Maybe the rats aren't really out of control at all, maybe they're being guided and being used to spy on the royal family and all their servants. I also want to point out as well just one small thing, and it's the way that the show decide to create this giant weirwood as a centerpiece at the heart of the Red Keep. In the books, there is no weirwood there. It is merely a great big oak in the castle godswood. It is a very curious change that the show made, and I think they did it for a reason. They wanted a weirwood there, and the reason is for the eventual reveal of Larys Strong's powers, the greatest secret of his house, a gift from the Isle of Faces, that the Strong still keep with the old gods in secret and that Laris is one of them. I'd like to say thank you as well to all my lovely patrons. If you too would like to have access to exclusive content, sneak previews, our wonderful Slack community, or just want to support me in this kind of insanity, sign up at patreon.com slash geomagician. And thank you specifically to Seneschal Ramona Zamfir, Grandmaster Chris B, Sue the Fury, Grandmaster of Whispers, Archmaster Mullen, Archmaster Dan Desmond, Brendan Beefish, Right Farter of the Fandom Truth, Aaron M, the Executive Assistant to the Slack, Jared W, KCD, Lady May, Leathery Wings, Maester Mary, and Nauticast. Thank you.